0: Welcome to Conversations in Confidence, where you get a front row seat to learn the insider tips, tricks and insights to help you win the mental game of music. So without further ado, please take your seat and welcome your host, Paul Crick, the Performance Confidence Coach. Hello, good people of Podcast Land. Thank you for downloading this episode of Conversations in Confidence. Mindfulness has gained tremendous popularity as the go-to method of choice for dealing with stress, psychological well-being, and coping with serious illnesses. Through the likes of Eckhart Tolle, mindfulness has come to the attention of the music community as an effective way to help counter the symptoms of music performance anxiety, and is increasingly finding its way into the gig bags of many musicians across different genres. Deceptively simple as an idea, there's much more to it than meets the eye. Mindfulness has many definitions, and the one I like is that mindfulness means developing the ability to pay deliberate attention to our experience from moment to moment. It's about learning to tune in to what's going on in our mind and our body without judging our experience. Sounds simple enough, right? Well my guest today is one of an increasing number of experts in the field. She's a top vocal coach and teacher behind the careers of a number of singers, including the renowned UK soprano, Rebecca Newman. She's currently researching the topic of mindfulness in music for a PhD at the university of Leeds school of music and offers her own mindfulness course through her website. We met when I was doing my own research into developing new treatments for severe music performance, anxiety, interviewing and modeling top performers, including Rebecca top session bassist Paul Geary and Dan Lee vocalist for new device. So prepare to find out lots more about the topic of mindfulness and how it can benefit you, your music making and your wider life. Please welcome Annie Tchaikovsky. Well, welcome Annie. Thanks for making time to be part of uh, this episode of Conversations in Confidence. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing fine, thanks. And thank you for inviting me.
0: It's my pleasure. Um, So I wanted to start by asking you, What led you to music, and in particular, what led you into singing?
1: Well, my father is a music teacher, and he taught me piano from being a very, very young age. And I also played the French horn, and it was my first study at university. And when I was at university, somebody dropped out of a singing thing, and I got asked to sing. And uh, one of the lecturers spotted me and said, oh, she says, you have a lovely voice. You should get that trained. And I'd secretly always wanted some lessons. So, as soon as I got a job, I had some lessons, and about 10 months later, I got myself into the Royal College of Music on a scholarship, so it kind of went from there.
0: Fantastic. It was. <laughs> so, how did you become a vocal coach?
1: Well, when I was at the Royal College, um, I did the Art of Teaching class, and it was it was slightly worrying to find that the grand majority of people on the class didn't know much about technique, but because I was already a... Um, a proper musician, as it were, before I started to learn singing. What I had to learn was technique, mm-hmm. and I learned it very uh, thoughtfully and intently. And so I was able to answer pretty much all the questions. Um, and the the chap who was running it, his wife needed a singing teacher at their school, and he asked me if I would like to do it. And, and I discovered that I really enjoyed teaching. It was some, something I come from a teaching background, and it's something I just felt I took to like a duck to water.
0: It's always good when you find that groove, isn't it? Mm. Good. So we yeah. ca- we came together um, because of uh, a sort of mutual infra- interest in psychology, and you'd you written a paper as part mm. of your um, MSC studies, hadn't you, about mindfulness?
1: Yes, it's an Emma, it's Emma's actually, which I'm very proud of.
0: Emma's, yes, a, yeah. It's a master's, whatever way you cut it, which is a, <laughs> yeah. which is impressive in my book, anyway. So I wonder what made you interested in mindfulness and how it could be applied to music performance?
1: Well, this was a weird one for me and how to become interested in mindfulness. Um, When I became interested in mindfulness, it wasn't, I, I didn't know about mindfulness. I'd, I'd always, I've always been an anxious person, prone to worrying, uh, prone to music performance anxiety. And I was basically on a quest to solve this. Now, <laughs> <laughs> I'm a Christian and it says in the Bible, do not worry. And I just couldn't work out how to do this. Right. And I was having some singing lessons with a chap called Neil Seamer in, in 2004. And he used to get us to do a call a body scan. Before we started to sing and I just didn't get what he was on about And so he suggested I got the book uh, The Power of Now by Eckhart Toller, Which you may or may not have heard of I certainly have um, and Yeah, it's quite well known actually And I read this book and it just blew my mind away And I was driving to Ascot to do some teaching I got stuck in a traffic jam and I had this awakening moment Now I'd always have said I'm quite a mindful person But this was a new level of awareness. This was like um, being aware of being aware. Uh, You could call it like a Mm meta-awareness. And as soon as I realised this, um, I suddenly realised I could bring myself into this state more and more often. And I also spotted my students were not very much in this present moment state. Um, And it was kind of... I just started to bring it into my teaching. About four or five years later, I was teaching a group of adults um, how to do some singing, and I would incorporated quite a few sort of um, present moment awareness exercises as part of what I was doing, and one of the, the students was a physiotherapist, and he said, oh, why are you teaching us mindfulness? And I said, why am I teaching you what? And he said, oh, well, I think it's becoming quite big in clinical circles. You should go and look it up. And it blew my mind away when I read this uh, about this mindfulness course. And it was what I'd been kind of doing as a sort of cottage industry type, well, a sort of home based thing with my own experience. Suddenly I found there was a whole course out there with um, eight uh, weeks worth of sessions, and it was more formalized. Uh, I suddenly sort of got quite excited when I saw how many of the exercises we were doing could be directly related to people um, who were learning to sing in a variety of ways. So that was kind of um, that was kind of how that all came about.
0: So, how would you define music performance anxiety? Because it's one of those things that's a bit nebulous that people sort of say, "Oh, it's." Uh... It's stage fright, or it's something else, or it's this, or it's worry, or it's rumination. And in your experience, what are what are some of the common causes that you've observed?
1: Well, you're right. People do have a problem with defining uh, music performance anxiety, um, and I think there are a lot of studies out there that have found it difficult to define it. My own personal probably definition of music performance anxiety as a thing is probably an overwhelming physiological and mental response to feeling vulnerable mm-hmm. you know either prior to or during or sometimes even after a musical performance so but the thing is it's it's the overwhelming i think is the bit that makes it musical performance anxiety otherwise it's just nerves obviously too many can ruin a performance and that's when it becomes music performance anxiety I think so um, you meant what's it common causes yes um, well I've had full blown stage fright okay, what, which
0: ruined a performance what does it? what does that look and feel like it's awful you know. <laughs> yes
1: It was actually when I was uh, still a pianist Mm -hmm. and um, I was playing piano on stage in a competition in front of about 200 people, including my boyfriend who'd never heard me play before. And my teacher earlier in the day had said, uh, or I'd said to her, I feel really nervous. And she said, you don't need to feel nervous. You're very well prepared for this. So the rest of the day, I squashed down those nerves. Every time it bubbled up, I was like, no, I don't need to feel nervous. Mm. And I think what happened was I went onto stage and the whole thing just exploded. Yes in my brain. And what actually happened for me was that the music, I was actually even reading, playing for music, the music went blank, completely. Mm -hmm. Uh, My mind felt like cogs had disengaged and started spinning.
0: Yeah.
1: And I looked at the piano keyboard, which I've been playing since the age of three, and I didn't understand it. (laughs) It was like an alien thing, and I looked out to the audience, and I looked back to the piano, and I had two beats. All I knew was I had to move up the piano, and press the keys. That was the only thing I could remember, which is what I did. Suddenly that everything came back and everything was back where it should be and I thought, oh, I better start again. So I played the whole thing again and I got to the end of it and I didn't even have a name for this. It was the adjudicator who stood and said, you've seen a very brave girl um, who's just dealt with stage fright. So I didn't even know what it was until that point and it was something that that worried me for a long time, as you can imagine. Um, I mean, from, from an experience as a teacher, I think I tend to spot the causes of performance anxiety for most students things like concerts or competition. Sometimes it's bad experience in the past, like with me, or it can just be their, their sort of nature. That's some interesting. Pe- some people clam up, some people can't stop making silly jokes, some people are sick, some people actually just freeze, like I did. And it affects lots, lots and lots of students. And I'm actually usually quite surprised if a student says they're not nervous and they're doing a performance.
0: Yes, I I find that too. That and it's interesting um, because if you read some of the some of the research, um, and we'll we'll talk about it in a bit about mm. you know the need, because if there isn't enough attention and focus on the performance itself, then you can actually fail the performance for not being present enough. Mm. Mm. But then if you overfocus on it, you can fail because you're concentrating too much. And as you've said from your experience, I looking at it trying to figure out as an expert. What is it I do? How do I do it? And, and why mm. can't I figure it out? Um, I, I think it's fascinating. So do you think there's a variance in the extent to which, mm-hmm. to which musicians get nervous? And how do you determine when the problem becomes a clinical one, in your view?
1: I think it's the nature and nurture type of thing. Um, I think everybody is obviously different. Some, new, some people are just more nervous by nature, and some people are just able to take um, that type of thing more. Um, When is a problem a clinical problem is a good question. And I think for me, um, as a teacher, I would say the problem is clinical when somebody is unable to do the job required. So when they've tried to diagnose music performance anxiety as a problem, Um, I don't think they do it in, either diagnose it here or in America. It tends to sit under the broad, broader uh, umbrella of, I think it's social anxiety disorder. Yes. So it's often part of a bigger problem if it, if it goes to the doctor. But I think that would be my idea of when something becomes clinical.
0: So mindfulness, a bit like CBT, appears to have accumulated quite a body of research evidence that mm-hmm. suggests there's helpful ways to do it and also unhelpful ways to do it. As <laughs> Has this been your experience, and what do you think those differences are?
1: Well, I've had very little experience of the unhelpfulness of mindfulness. Um, I mean, even when exploring difficulties with participants in an actual mindfulness course... Um, although that can be very difficult at the time and you do worry quite a lot and make sure you're there for them. that Most people usually say they're glad to have at least looked at the problems and building some strategies uh, in place to deal with problems in the future. I think in, this, uh, in our culture we tend to avoid talking about difficulties and certainly avoid talking about how to deal with them. And I think this is something where mindfulness can help. But you normally have built up quite a bit of um, mindful strategies before you even start delving into those more difficult areas if you go on a proper course. Um, What I don't think it's a good idea to do is if you are a very, very stressed out person in a highly uh, anxious job in the city and your company turns around and says, you're highly anxious, we're going to care for you. We're going to send you on a three-day silent retreat Hmm. if you've never done it before. Because, I mean... You know, for my mind, immediately going on something like that is bound to give you some mental issues. So, I mean, it's the equivalent of sending you on a three day army training course when you have been sat at a desk the last five years. It's bound to, you know, not be good for you physically. You need to build that sort of thing up.
0: Yes, and you usually find people in those situations are so busy because they don't want to think about or or, mm-hmm. or, or be left on their own in sort of peace and silence. I have a I have a, a, a neighbor in our village that talked about this. Uh, we, we were having a glass of wine, wine mm-hmm. one, one evening, and and she was saying, I was saying, well, what would you do differently if if you know you weren't working in a city? She said, oh, I couldn't possibly, couldn't possibly entertain the thought of that. I'd go bonkers, mm-hmm. <laughs> which made yeah. me smile.
1: And mindfulness is not for everybody. And I think that's quite a strong thing to stress in this day and age where suddenly it's quite popular. When I first started studying it, it wasn't popular. No one ever heard of it. I had to explain it to every single person I met. But now people have got at least their own perception of what they think it might be. And um, people almost uh, who have experienced it and have found it's been useful can be almost evangelical in yes. their joy for it and want everybody to try it and it isn't actually for everybody i, I think everybody should at least have a, a dabble and see if it's for them perhaps mm. but not you know get too upset if they think no it's not for me i'd much prefer to go for a walk in woods regularly or spend special time with my friends or you know some other way of dealing with stress and anxiety in their lives
0: yes you're right it's it's not it's not the only way to uh to resolve things for sure.
1: Absolutely not and that's that some of the research seems to be going in that direction and finding out why people are dropping out of studies and um, what that might mean for the future as well.
0: Yes I think so Um, and uh, you know as you said at the outset you know dipping into Eckhart Tolle's book uh, The Power of Now or A New Earth is is actually a really good way Mm. to um, get an experience of that because even as you start to 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 read into that, there's there's some interesting ways of thinking that might seem a bit strange. Um, mm. Whereas if you and to get it from a book is perhaps the best way to do it, rather than as you say, be thrown into a classroom and go, oh my god, I've got this for three days. What what earth am I going to do?
1: Well, you can do mindfulness in lots of ways. You don't just get thrown into a classroom for three days. If That's you do, true. if you do a mindfulness course with a group, mm. which um, can cost quite a bit, but is a good way of doing it because you've got somebody to talk to. Mm-hmm about the issues that come up during uh, the week and it usually starts off by doing a little bit of home practice every day and just an hour or a couple of hours with a group so again you can talk about your experiences and I think that's a very important part of certainly the group courses Um, and that builds up as it were over eight weeks. You can also do little dibs and dabs by bobbing online of course and doing things like the Be Mindful online course which is the Mental Health Foundations course mm-hmm. and of course you can interact with that as deeply or as lightly as you wish um, and in fact that course has got some quite good research behind it showing how, how efficacious it's actually been mm-hmm. which is interesting in comparison to the group led courses and then of course there's things like Headspace where again you can dip your toe in and see, see what you like
0: really. Yes, uh, and I'll put uh, links to all those things Mm -hmm. in uh, the show notes so that people can go and have a look and uh, give it a try for themselves. Mm -hmm. So given the flaws in the conclusions of the often cited Yerkes-Dodson model, which says Uh that there's a a certain amount of stress needed to perform, how, how does mindfulness actually keep performers in the place of balance, do you think, to help them perform without effort? but with enough energy and focus. It's kind of like a stillness in motion thing almost.
1: Mm-hmm. But it's actually a really good question, this. It's, um, it is a matter of balance. I think when you're looking at, when we're looking about the Yerkes-Dodson you know, from a, a, a music performance anxiety point of view, aren't we, I think. Mm-hmm. So the thing about a performance is that it is a thing that you are going to do. Um, the thing is that it's what you bring to that thing which can change the way you perceive it. So the, the performance, you can either look at a performance from a very positive point of view or you can look at it from a negative point of view. And most people who've got things like music performance anxiety are not usually choosing their response to that performance. It's a a reaction it's um, a reaction to past um, fears it can be um, trying to cope with future fears and um, one of the things that learning mindfulness does can help you to make a choice about how you're going to approach something
0: mm-hmm.
1: rather than running on default
0: so give me a, give me an example of how you might do that just a quick example well and I know there's lots of different ways you can do that
1: yeah well as for example some people get very tense and as a result of getting very tense they especially for a singer they stop breathing part of um feeling excessive fear is that we go into you know a, res- a, a response that deals with that fear and that can often mean that the breathing gets very shallow this is not a good thing so taking doing some mindful breathing can really help you to come into contact back with your body again yes and it can help um the deep breathing basically means that there's more blood going uh, oxygen filled blood going around your body which hits the oxygen hits your brain and then your brain doesn't think oh um i'm going to i'm going to panic because i don't have enough oxygen it actually starts to um break the bad cycle that you get into So if you're starting to um, lose your breath, um, deep breathing, as a result of being nerves and it goes shallow, um, there's less oxygen going to the brain, the brain panics. You do some mindful breathing, there's more oxygen goes to the brain, the brain doesn't panic so much, therefore your breathing becomes deeper, therefore you get this positive cyclical motion. So this is where it can help keep you more grounded, Mm -hmm. uh, keep you more in... um, present moment and being in the present moment can help you see the reality of the situation that you're in so you're not panicking and at the end of the day a performance is just a performance it's not a life or death situation even though it can sometimes feel like that Mm -hmm. and i think this can help keep you far more in balance and especially if you can stay in the present moment when you're actually on stage yes this can help you to deal with stuff that happens and stuff does just happen on stage to everybody but it's what's mental state of mind you're in as to how you can cope with it. Often,
0: yes, yes. What a what a great answer. And you remind me of uh, Yo-Yo Ma's recent interview uh, with Krista mm-hmm. Tippett, where he talks about um, he talks about well, you know, it's it's just like being in the chicken in the kitchen and dropping the chicken on the floor. It's kind of like oh look, the chicken's dropped on the floor. Right, I'll pick it up and put it back on the plate. Um, <laughs> you know, it's nothing really to worry about. <laughs>
1: So, I got, just got visions of that being a live chicken for some reason. Well, <laughs>
0: anyway. I, I don't think he was distinguishing whether it Sorry. was li- <laughs> live or dead, but but I, I liked I liked the idea of uh, well, you know, it's just one of those things. It's fallen on the floor. Just pick it up and put it back on the plate and carry on. <laughs> That's
1: right. I've had wigs fall off on stage. Have
0: you? Oh dear! And it's
1: it's how you deal with it. Yes. Um, as to whether the audience burst out laughing and at the end of the day if they burst out laughing they're still entertained and they can't ask for their money back
0: yeah <laughs> i know that's that that's um that that's true i, I was um, talking to one of your students actually mm-hmm. uh, and and she was uh, she was saying that um there was a particular opera that she was an aria in, in an opera in Italian, and, and she just went completely blank. And she said, "I just made the I just made it up. I just saying mm. saying words that sounded vaguely Italian, and nobody knew any <laughs> nobody knew any different." Which I thought was which w- I thought was absolutely hilarious. She said the only problem was that uh, when she continued performing on the subsequent nights, it took her about three or four performances <laughs> to shake it out of her system.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I've had a situation where I've completely. You've forgotten the words on stage and got away with it because of how I handled it.
0: Yeah.
1: And I was stood there and there's that moment when the music starts and you have that thought, oh, where are the words? Now, they normally pop into your brain Mm. and I was waiting for them to arrive and they didn't arrive. And so the pianist got to the bit where I was supposed to sing and I didn't sing. And so I just stopped the performance. Well, I didn't stop anything. I just said, oh, dear. I've forgotten the words. Isn't that dreadful? Come on, let me have a look at them. And went over to the pianist, had a quick look. I said, right, okay, right. Camera, lights, pianist, when you're ready, off you go. And he did that, and he played, and I said, sang and I got to the end of the performance and I felt dreadful right. oh dear what a stupid situation and people came up to me afterwards and said oh that was really really fun that was that was really exciting the way you did that um we really enjoyed that and I was like yeah but I forgot my words yes but you didn't really that was just part of the performance wasn't it I was like good grief I've got away with it it was quite an eye-opener really that even that much of a a broken performance it's how you handle it can often Influence people as to whether it really was meant or whether it's just part of the show.
0: Well, the audience is always on your side, and frankly, that's mm. what they—that's that, what they actually came to see. So, um, mm. and it makes it unique as a performance because that's something that nobody's going to see anywhere else. That's right. You go to see live performances for stuff that goes wrong, don't you? In some respects, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so, why do you think it is that more musicians don't adopt mindfulness in their daily routines, or is it the case that? They do, and it's just not widely pre- reported.
1: Well, I think this is probably changing as we speak. Um, I mean, mindfulness is still relatively new, but it's coming quite popular. Um, whether their understanding of the mi- term mindfulness is the same as mine, I'm uh, not sure, but it is becoming more popular, as I said. But um, I wish I had personally known about mindfulness earlier, which is why I'm currently doing a PhD studying the effects of mindfulness on musicians, Because it made such a difference to me as a performer, a learner and a teacher. So I wondered if it would have the same effect on other people. I've actually, to help raise awareness of mindfulness for musicians, I've done a study at the university, which you mentioned before, which is the Masters, where I designed a mindfulness of singers course, which is heavily based on the mindfulness based stress reduction course, which is the Jon Kabat-Zinn course. And the findings were really great. Because as part of this, I got the participant singing teachers who knew absolutely nothing about mindfulness and asked them if they could spot which of their students they had thought who had done the course based on observed behavior changes over time. And they were able to spot six out of my eight participants out of a full uh, combined student total of 32, which is a good number, especially as the two that they didn't spot were the two that got the highest pre um, Pre-intervention questionnaire score Which means their trait mildness Theoretically would have been higher Than the other participants Yep. Now that study is published in the British Journal of Music and, uh, Education And I'm happy to Forward that uh, research on to anybody Who might be interested But um, for the PhD we've decided that that was So successful we, we thought we'd run it again Because we couldn't quite believe it <laughs> And this time we're going to be including, like, a longitudinal part to find out if the effects continue over time. And we've also added some controls and preliminary researches, or oh, preliminary results, I should say, are looking quite positive. Great. So I'm also, as part of this, I'm studying the effects of mindfulness on all instrument, mentalists, sorry, at a big conservatoire, which I probably shouldn't name for ethics reasons. Okay. Uh But the first incoming results there are actually exciting too. Um, So one of my projects I haven't quite finished getting together yet. So I'm actually looking for any musicians who have trained in mindfulness who are also teaching because I'd like to set up a study next year where I interview people and find out what their experiences are of being a mindful musician who is also a teacher. And maybe what the effects of learning mindfulness has had on them as teachers and learners and performers. So I don't know if there's anybody listening to this who knows of anybody like that. But if they if they can get in touch, um, I will hopefully be able to get that off the ground. And I might even have some funding to pay people for that as well.
0: Fantastic. Well, that's always a good that's always a good incentive to get people going. But we'll make sure that uh, we've got ways uh, for people to connect with you at the end of the podcast.
1: That's brilliant. Thank you.
0: So, knowing what you know now, how have you changed the way you teach, coach and mentor vocalists today?
1: Well, I include some basic mindfulness exercises in my lessons. So I start every single lesson with some breathing exercises, um, mini type of body scan and some mindful movement. Now I find the mind- mindful movements great for dealing with things like posture and helping people loosen up tensions from, say, sitting on computers all day. Um, I find the breathing brings them into contact with the present moment and with their own experience of their own normal breathing which we can then move into singing breathing each each lesson and the body scans really really useful for things like um becoming aware of little micro muscular changes in the body because a lot of people are not really connected to their body their body is a thing that carries them around from place to place mm-hmm. and so that's uh intimate awareness of tiny muscular changes I mean that's really all you've got to go on with singing even if you uh you know even well we've got two ways we can access the way that we sing one is the way it sounds which if if you've heard yourself on recording often doesn't sound like you think it sounds and the other way is how sensations feel in the body little muscular and um, sound changes within And the body scan is actually very useful for helping people to become aware of that. So it's helpful for people relearning uh, bad technique or who've got extraneous tension in the body, or for those people who are starting to learn things like abdominal breath support, where you don't want them thrusting and pushing and stressing, but you want them to gain a real understanding of how they can be in control of their own air pressure. So that's how I use it. And sometimes, depending on need, I'll go more deeply into the practice. So if people are experiencing excessive performance anxiety, I'll start to, to talk a bit more deeply about some of the strategies that they can use from a mindfulness point of view to help them.
0: Fantastic. So how would you suggest, then, other music teachers and coaches could adapt mindfulness into their own approaches to working with musicians?
1: Well, I think the very important thing is that you do a mindfulness course or train in mindfulness in some way yourself and I think that's very important because you need to have your own personal practice just like you wouldn't teach singing or flute or a piano without actually having your own personal practice just in the same way you should have a personal practice in mindfulness however you wish to go about that and over time most people will find, I think, that their own new mindful experiences will automatically transfer into their music practice, into their learning, into their performing. And then with those discoveries, I think you'll find that most um, interested people will start to see where their mindful personal experiences with their own instrument can be extended to their students and their needs. And I don't think, if you're finding a benefit out of mindfulness, I don't think Um, a reflective um, thoughtful musician I don't think they could help but start to pass on those insights to other people so for me I do a a weekly meditation I have a daily practice I like to do yoga classes and I like to do things that have more experienced practitioners um, so I can ask them questions and have other people to chat to about experiences as well and I've also done two mindfulness courses and as a as a situation of running uh, Mindfulness for Singers courses at University of Leeds, I have a mentor as well who helps me with that. But I think it's important to build your own mindfulness practice first and then move on from there.
0: Fantastic, Annie. If people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that?
1: Well, I've got a website. It's called uh, www.mindfulnessforsingers.co.uk. And Mindfulness for Singers is all one word, and that's got an an email contact forms so that's probably the best way to start really
0: well i can't thank you enough for uh, such a great interview and for sharing uh, the depth and breadth of your knowledge and experience in this uh, in this really important topic and, and particularly its relevance to dealing with music performance anxiety so thank you annie thank you very much
1: that's fine it's been a joy to talk to you too paul
0: so there you have it i hope you enjoyed this conversation in confidence and have a much better understanding of what mindfulness is and, just as importantly, what it isn't. I hope Annie has sparked your curiosity, and you'll go on and have a look at the mindfulness resources available on her website. Singing teachers who'd like to use the resources for themselves or for their own students after establishing their own personal mindfulness practice, then Annie asked me to encourage you to go and do just that. All the details of the course are free for people to look at, use and develop for their own purposes if they wish, and all the MP3s are free too for anyone to use. If anyone is interested in taking part in the Mindfulness and Music Instrumental Teachers Study, which is part of Annie's PhD, for which she almost certainly has some funding for, then do get in touch with her at her website. If you like what I'm doing, please take a moment to leave me some feedback and comments on iTunes. Until we meet again, take care. Bye for now. Well, that wraps up another episode of Conversations in Confidence. Tune in next Monday for more tips, tricks and insights with Paul Crick, the Performance Confidence Coach.